Man, I just want to say what a great morning of worship it's already been, man. To see baptisms and like you say, Luke, just to hear people singing. It's been an exciting morning and I'm excited to preach this morning as we begin a new year. But before we get started, let, let me say this. I, I really appreciate Brother Jonas's message last week. Those that are here, did you all appreciate it as well? I told him that after I listened, I needed to repent. And so I think at the end today, when I get to the invitation, I'm going to come and repent for last week. All right. Uh, and if you, uh, I mean, just, just the way he reminded us how important it is that we live with the expectation of Jesus's imminent return. It really should have all of us to stop and think, am I living in a way that Jesus would commend if he came today, right? I mean, that was a reminder of that. Now, if you weren't here last week for that message, let me encourage you to do something. Go to our website, vcvc.org, and we have all of our messages there. You can go back and listen to the past, but I really would encourage you, go back and listen to Brother Jonas's message last week. It is definitely worth your time. But now, as we gather here on this first Sunday of a new year, I know it is a time always where we consider if there are changes we need to make in our lives. Often those involve more exercising or maybe changing our diets, possibly giving up a bad habit or maybe even taking on the challenge to read through the Bible in the coming year. I mean, I'm not sure what your thoughts are heading into the new year, but typically we all have some thoughts like that. Even if we don't make official or specific resolutions, my guess is you at least take some time to think about what you want to accomplish in the new year or, in fact, what you hope the new year is like. You see here at Valley Creek, as we start the year, we're going to take the first number of weeks to take a detailed look at the book of Ephesians. We've entitled this series, Grace Made Visible. We will consider a little later exactly why this series is so important to us, but let me tell you, before we begin, my hope for this series, or at least why I feel it's important for us to look at the truths found in this text. We will see that this text contains words that are for believers. They're words that are giving us some foundation of what we believe in and then some practical words about how we live out what we believe. The reason these words are going to be so important is because, in a way, the church, universal, and many believers have become complacent, or might, might I even say this, we've become a little lost. You see, as the church has come out of COVID and tried to navigate a post-COVID world, I'm not sure we've figured everything out yet. We are at least still trying to recover and still trying to figure out what this post-COVID world looks like for believers and the church. I will say this, that there is some disagreement about the church condition and, and, and what the, even the future looks like for the church. For some, they kind of take this fatalistic mentality that everything moving forward in the future looks bleak for Christianity. On the other hand, there are those who see great opportunity. Now, which side is right yet to be determined in a way both sides have something to add to the discussion. However, what I want believers to see is this is that if you fully understand the grace that is yours and you live out that grace properly, if you let grace be visible in your life, the circumstances that we live in shouldn't affect how we view and how we live life. 
All right, yeah, it should have been a bunch of amens to that, right? Unfortunately, what, 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 I, what or ultimately what I pray is that there would be a renewed energy found by many believers to live out their faith both in the church and in their individual lives. The book of Ephesians would be a good place to find guidance on, in fact, how this can happen. Now, with that said, let's dig in, all right? So I want you to turn in your Bibles or open up your Bible app, whichever you have, and I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at it just the first two verses today. And let me go ahead and say this. If you're here today and it's a new year and maybe you've made some resolutions and you don't have a Bible, if you see me after church, I'll be sure to give you a Bible. We'd love to gift you a Bible if that is what you need. Or if you need a Bible app, bring me your phone and I'll help you download one. All right. We'll take care of it today. But if you have it open today, here's what we're really doing this morning. We're really kind of introducing or setting the stage for the weeks to come. And so as we introduce this, this book of Ephesians, here's three things that we're going to look at this morning to introduce this series. We're going to look at who is it that wrote this letter, who is this letter written to, and why is it important to you, all right? We're going to cover those, so all you already trying to fill in your blanks, I'll come back to them one at a time, all right? I'll get those to you, all right? Let's first read our text for today, Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we read these verses right at the beginning, we see the answer to the first question. I mean, who wrote this letter? The answer is the Apostle Paul. Now, many of you already know this. Many of you already know that Paul wrote much of our New Testament. He was the greatest evangelist who ever lived. He started many churches during his lifetime, and God used him clearly to help write now what we know as the Holy Scripture. But let's remember something about Paul. Paul was a man who had experienced God's grace in his life in an amazing way. Paul was a man who knew what it was like to experience God's grace and experience a tremendous life, a life change. Grace clearly became visible in his life as he experienced it in Christ. Now, there are many ways I could talk about the change that Paul experienced, but let's consider his change this way. Because of God's grace, Paul went from God serving him to him serving God. All right, catch it, all right? Paul went from God serving him to him serving God. If you look back in the book of Acts, when we are first introduced to Paul, it is far from a model Christian, all right? In fact, he was a hater of Christians. When we are first introduced to Paul, his name is Saul. And at the very end of chapter 7 in Acts, we can read where a man named Stephen is being stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus. And overlooking that stoning was none other than Saul or, or Paul. As the stoning finishes, we then read these words at the beginning of chapter 8 in Acts, and it says, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, see, look, these are the actions of Saul, again, who later became known as Paul, the writer of this letter. Now, I share this information about Paul because sometimes here's what we need to do. Sometimes we need to know where a person came from to understand who they fully are. In this case, Paul, early in life, was a man 
who said he loved God, but really was a man who was letting God serve him. Here is why I say that. In Acts chapter 8, Paul was a man who had power. He was a man who had prestige because of religion. At the time, Paul was a Jew, but not just any Jew. He had been trained as a Pharisee, and he was a leader then among the Jews, and he was advancing in clout even among the Pharisees. Listen to how Paul briefly described this period of his life in Galatians 1. He says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. Now, the key statement is this. I was advancing. You see, for Paul, Judaism had become a means for him to advance and gain power and have prestige. No doubt Paul had been very successful. Even compared to his peers, he was advanced. He was climbing the ladder of success at a rapid pace. In fact, many would have praised him for what he had accomplished. Even that some maybe even praised him for his zeal for God. However, here's what had gotten lost in all of that for Paul. It was actually serving God. God for him had become a means to advance his life rather than Paul working to advance the will of God. Now, for those in the church this morning, you you might want to shake your head. You you want to wonder, how could Paul do things like that, especially how, how could he kill Christians? But before we're too critical, Paul, let's understand this. Things like this still happen in our day today, do they not? I mean, people today are still using God for their own means. We could easily point to many TV preachers who have promoted their version of the gospel in order to get rich as they have people send them donations in order to receive a blessing, among other things. Let me go ahead and just tell you this, right? Any preacher that asks you to send a donation to a blessing, just turn them off, okay? Because that, that's not, God never asked you to pay for a blessing, has he? No, that, that's not. But so many people have done that, all right? There are some or others who have used their popularity as an outstanding speaker to gain a following or, and then amass great wealth for themselves, Now, again, I don't want you to hear me wrong this morning because there are some of those who are doing things right in God-honoring ways who, in the process, they have gained a measure of popularity and wealth. But I'm going to tell you, those who are doing it with the right motives often then use what they gain to support the advancement of the gospel in other ways, not get rich themselves. You hear me? But there have been many like Paul who simply have used religion to elevate their status and not the truth of God. It's not hard to find these celebrity preachers who advance their cause, let God serve them, rather than advancing God's cause by serving him. Now, on a smaller scale, though, let me say this, because some of you say, I don't don't really relate to that. Let me just say this. I've seen people use religion simply to have an experience to put on their resume. I mean, I volunteered here or there. Just a resume line for them. That's that's all it is. Or have used religion to make business contacts or have used religion to boost boost their status in certain circles. I would say, in fact, all of us, hear me, all of us have to guard against this temptation because if not, church and religion becomes about how do I advance in life rather than how am I helping the truth of God advance? You hear me? We, we all need to hear this warning. Paul was living with these wrong motives, maybe even in a way, unaware to some degree. But Paul's story, hear me, doesn't end there because this is what he said in 1 Corinthians 15. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. See, if you know Paul's story, you know that Jesus appeared to Paul in a vision as he was on his way to persecute more Christians. Jesus showed him the errors of his way, even temporarily blinding him. But through that experience, here's what Paul did. Paul confessed his sin. He accepted Jesus as his Savior, and it changed his life forever. Now, because of his past, Paul considered himself the least of the apostles, mostly because of his history of persecuting and killing Christians. But I love what he said in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 15. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You will hear us through this series talk about God's grace. And Paul said it was God's grace that changed his life. God's grace being this, God's undeserved favor. Paul understood that because of what he had done, he didn't deserve God's love. He didn't deserve God's forgiveness. He, he didn't deserve to serve God. However, God had poured his love out on him anyway and gave him a new direction and a new purpose in life. In fact, Paul said, because of God's grace, did y'all catch this? Because of God's grace, he worked hard for the Lord. Amen, right? He clearly went from having religion serve him to serving the Lord with his life, and it was experiencing God's grace that changed everything for Paul. Now, I even want you to see this about Paul. Because of experiencing God's grace, his whole outlook on life changed. I say that in part because of this, all right? When he was writing this letter, hear this, he was writing it from a jail cell, okay? He, he wasn't even writing it as a free man, all right? The man who at one time had people arrested for being a Christian, now himself was experiencing the same kind of persecution, but it didn't change his attitude, and it didn't keep him from seeking to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. This letter of Ephesians was Paul still seeking to do the Lord's work in spite of difficult circumstances in which he was currently living. Clearly for Paul at this point, life was not about his advancement. It was about God's will being done. Now, before I move on, I want to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to consider your life, all right? Ask yourself this question. What role does God or religion play in my life? What is it playing for you? Are they simply means for you to advance your life? Or are you a person who is serving God with your life? The answer will make a huge difference on how you approach life and how you even approach this new year. If you truly experience the grace of God and understand what it means to be forgiven and given true life in Jesus, you, sh you should be approaching the new year asking this question, how can I serve the Lord in the year ahead? You do that because you are grateful for what Jesus has done for you already by giving his life for you and realizing that serving him is a little thing in comparison. You understand this, that Jesus really doesn't owe you anything, but you owe him everything, right? You also approach the new year with confidence, understanding that no matter what the year brings, the Lord will be with you. If in the coming year you face imprisonment like Paul for your faith, you'll be okay because God is with you, right? If you face a health crisis, you're going to be okay because the Lord is with you. If you face an unexpected job change, you'll be okay because the Lord is with you. On and on I could go. But the rubber hits the road when you answer this question. 
Have you truly experienced the grace of God and, that, and it changed your life and gave you a new purpose? Have you experienced that? Th that purpose of serving the Lord. If you haven't experienced God's grace that he offers you, here's my prayer as we start out, that you would experience the same grace that Paul experienced and it would change your life radically forever. All right. My prayer for the New Year is that many, many people would experience that. And we would see not two baptisms on a Sunday, but there would be a Sunday. We might have to do the whole service baptizing people because they've experienced the grace of God. Amen. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, so Paul is the one who wrote this letter. Now it's time to look at who is this letter written to? The answer to that question is the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. I'm really creative. I just took that right out of the text, right? All right. Look, look as Paul was writing this letter to people who were considered faithful followers of Jesus Christ and who were in Ephesus. Now, immediately your action should be a positive one. Paul is not writing to people he sees as troubled or people that have a problem. They're faithful people. Yet still Paul sees the need to write them a letter to encourage them and to strengthen them in their faith. In order to help you understand who these believers were and what they had experienced, we really can go back again to the book of Acts and see what they had experienced. In Acts 19, we see where Paul came to Ephesus and found some people claiming to be disciples of Jesus. But when Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? They said no. And so when Paul discovered that they had only received what is called the baptism of John, in other words, they had repented of their sins and they had been baptized as, a, as an act of that repentance, but they had never been baptized as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul does again is, is share them again who Christ is and that and baptizes them as committed followers of Jesus. And after he does this, this is what we read in verse six. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Look at this. These believers experienced something to what happened at Pentecost in that the Spirit came upon them as now genuine believers and they began speaking the truth of Jesus in other tongues and prophesying in his name. You see, God worked in their lives to see the gospel spread. God poured out his grace visibly in their life. Now, this was really only one of the ways that God worked because while Paul was in Ephesus, God did many other miraculous things. A few verses later in, in Acts 19, in verse 11, it goes on to say, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. But look at this. I mean, God's grace was poured out on the Ephesians such a way that the miraculous things happened as the truth of Jesus was spread. I mean, just imagine this, a handkerchief that had touched Paul being used to heal diseases and evil spirits being cast out of people. Wow, that's amazing, right? I, I mean, how cool would it be this morning, right? How cool would it be today if I could touch a handkerchief and give it to you and say, here, take it to your sick level and they'll be well. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be cool, right? I mean, that would be really cool. I really think it would be. Now, I'll say this. That's never happened to me, all right? So don't come and ask me for a handkerchief to take to your sick loved one. I don't think I have that power this morning. And what I know is that when God was working here in Acts among the Ephesians, he was doing miracles. And let me remind you of this. Miracles are called miracles because they're not the norm. Shake your head this way. You got that? All right, all right. In these early days of Christianity, and God was doing some things even outside the normal to see that the gospel was spread. And I will say this, I'll go ahead and say this, from time to time, I really believe God still does amazing, incredible things. 
Okay, or rather, think he does. However, to me, the greatest miracles are seen even a few verses later in Acts 19 when we read this. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You see, what we see in these verses might not be seen by many people as miraculous, but to me, here's where I see the true life-changing moments this miracle is, because when people really come, confess their sins, and are open about their evil practices, that is when God's grace is really able to be experienced in a powerful way. It really is. Likewise, when you have people who had practiced magic arts and the occult, They come and burn their books, making the statement that the occult life is behind them. That is incredible. That is a true miracle. Now, as a result, it says the word of the Lord increased and prevailed mightily. What that means ultimately is that as the truth of Jesus was preached, grace was experienced and made visible in the lives that were being changed. And because of that, more and more people came to faith in Jesus. Now, as we consider what happened in Ephesus, let me make an observation real quick. Okay? Paul experienced God's grace coming out of a religious background, while many of those in Ephesus experienced God's grace coming out of a very secular background. It was a reminder that the grace of God is for us all. And we all need God's grace, and we all need to be changed by God's grace no matter what our background is. Religious or non-religious, we all need God's grace, right? A grace that can change our lives. Now, let me also make it clear that in Ephesus, uh, those who in Ephesus received the grace of Jesus and became faithful followers, look at this, did it in the midst of a very difficult cultural background. I didn't mention earlier, but in Ephesus, was it was known for the temple of Artemis, which was actually one of the wonders of the ancient world. Artemis was a false god, which was considered a goddess of fertility, And therefore, the worship of Artemis involved various ungodly rituals and practices. I'll let your mind figure out what some of those might have included. But the worship of Artemis was so prominent, much of the economy in Ephesus was affected by her worship. So much so that when Paul came preaching the gospel and people experienced the grace of God and changed their lives, as I've shared, those whose livelihoods were affected by the worship of Artemis became threatened. As people stopped worshiping this false God and started worshiping the one true God through their faith in Jesus, people stopped spending money on the things used to worship Artemis, things made and sold by many of the local merchants. It's what led to what we read later in parts of Acts 19, where these merchants create a problem for Paul. And this is what we read. It says, about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, and that way being the faith in Jesus Christ, the, the Christians. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. So she whom all Asia and the world worship. 
All right. Quickly, let me say this. Any God that can be disposed of its greatness is not a God at all. Right. But we could read more in Acts 19 and see where these merchants rise up. They lead a riot and the disciples ultimately had to prevent Paul from going into their midst because he wanted to go in and talk to these people who are rioting. He wanted to share Christ with them. But the, the other disciples had to say, no, 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 Paul, you can't go there because they'll probably kill you. All right. And so what happens is that shortly after this gathering, uh, well, at one point in time, finally a, a city clerk stands up and says to the people, listen, folks, we're going to get in trouble with the higher ups if we don't disperse. All right. We're going to get in trouble for rioting. And so you, you better calm down. And so they disperse and go about their way. All right. And so after that, here's what happens. Paul goes and he meets with the, the leaders there in the Ephesus church. And shortly after that gathering, what happens is Paul encourages them. But then he leaves Ephesus because he's continuing his missionary journey. He's continuing on to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But here's what we have to remember. Paul left, but the, the believers living in Ephesus stayed. Okay, So they stayed as believers in a place that was really hostile to their faith. Let me ask you this. Can you imagine what it would be like for us in our community, if our community today banded together to come against us and say, what they're preaching down at the church is hurting our economy. We need to stop them. Can you imagine what that would be like? I mean, it'd be pretty bad, right? Because if somebody thinks their pocketbook's being hurt, they get mad, right? You can hurt a lot of things, but don't hurt my money, Right? We often know where our God is, right? And it's often in our back pocket or in our purses or in the bank, right? Wherever that is. And so if we were to do that, I mean, it would be a mess. Now, that's in essence what the Ephesians believers faced. And so it meant they were living out of faith under difficult circumstances. But as Paul acknowledged in this letter, yeah, I love this, they remained faithful. They didn't let the difficult circumstances they found themselves in keep them from letting the grace that they had experienced be made visible in their lives and their cities. Now, here's what I know. There are times when I'm sure we as believers feel like we live in a culture and in an environment that's hostile to our faith. Do we not? We do. It's true. I know it is. And we can point to stories that have made national news. We can point to the stories like Jack Phillips, a Christian baker in Colorado who refused to create custom wedding cakes that went against his Christian values. And so he had to take it all the way to the Supreme Court before having his rights affirmed. Or Hobby Lobby, who challenged the Affordable Care Act, the contraceptive mandates based on their religious beliefs. And they faced many battles to stay true to their convictions. Then there is Kelvin Cochran, who was the Atlanta fire chief who was terminated after publishing a book that expressed his views on traditional marriage. I mean, these are a few cases that made headlines nationally, and I know there are many other cases that we could point to, but there are people even in our own congregation who felt the persecuting at times because of displaying Christian plaques on their desk or having a Bible or other Christian literature displayed at their workstation. I can even remember years ago when I worked in a secular environment before I was in ministry, people didn't understand the stances and the choices I made. I'll say this. I even go back to high school and the fact that my classmates didn't understand my, my commitment to the Lord. All right. When I told them I'm not going to drink and I'm not going to party like you because I follow God and I want to live for him. They didn't understand that. I remember times literally being afraid because I had even some of my close friends who came to me and say, oh, <laughs> we're going to get you drunk one day. We're going to do We're going to tie you up. We're going to do all this stuff and we're going to make you drink and we're going to get you drunk. I mean, I remember that from high school. I don't know if any of y'all have ever faced that today, but I tell you, it's terrifying when everybody else around you is going to say, we're going to do that to you. Now, 
I hope that they were joking. They never did it, so maybe they were joking, but I'm telling you why. They still did not understand my faith. They didn't understand the commitment I had to the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, if you have that faith, you'll have those moments as well. Right? Now, when we consider these believers in Ephesus that Paul was writing to, I want us to remember two things at a minimum. First, God can do great things in our midst. All right, the believers in Ephesus clearly knew the grace of God because it had been made visible in the way God worked in the lives of the people of Ephesus. The believers were aware of the miracles that had taken place. They had experienced those in the occult, changing their practices and burning the books of magic incantations. They saw how people left the false worship of Artemis and started following the one true God. They truly saw how lives were changed because of Jesus Christ. And what we must never forget is this, is that God can and has done similar things in our midst, and I believe he will continue to do great things in our midst. All right, he is the same God. We sang about that, right? He is the same God today that he was back then. He can do these things. Maybe this morning you have friends or family members who are part of the occult. Let me go ahead and give you some hope. God can work in their lives so that they would leave that false worship behind and begin serving the living God. If the occult seems a little extreme for you, maybe the God your family or friend you remember is, is, is worshiping is alcohol or drugs or sex or money. God can deliver them from those false gods as well, all right, by his grace in Jesus Christ. I know that because we have those in our midst today who have been delivered from some of those sort of things. Catch this. God can also deliver from pride from lying, from hatred, from abuse, from apathy, and from much more. And I want us as a church to experience those things in our midst. And in part, we will experience those things as we share the grace of God with others. And as we let God's grace be made visible in our life, never forget that God can do great things. All right. Now, with that said, let's consider the second thing we need to remember as we look at these Ephesian believers at times, living out our faith and letting grace be visible in our lives will be difficult. We have to expect that there will be those who oppose us who don't understand what we stand for. However, we have to stand firm and live out our grace knowing this, that it is God's grace that changes life. And even if persecuted, we should still share the gospel and, and know that it is worthy of sharing, right? We could even remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Do you remember these words? These are words we probably like to ignore from Jesus, but he said... Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, you ready to hear this? From your pre I'm going to really encourage you at the first of the new year. Persecution is a part of the Christian life. All right? So we should not be surprised or hindered when it comes. Now, as you look at here at who Paul wrote to, I hope you've gotten this point, okay? He wrote to the Ephesians, but really these words are to us all as well. The words of this letter that we're going to look at this in the coming weeks, all right, it's not just all right, for the saints of Ephesus, hear me, it is really to the saints everywhere, including us, right? So we need to hear these words. That will take us to this last point I want us to look at before I, I close, which is simply this. Why is what is written important to you? As Paul wrote this opening greeting, look again at what he said in verse 2. He said, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider what Paul desired for these believers in Ephesus, grace and peace. Th these words are important because they point us, all right, they point us to grace and peace. Are not both of those things something that we need and want in our lives? 
All right, they should be. Grace is God's powerful work and love in our lives. And Paul will write shortly some of my favorite words when he reminds us in Ephesians 2, 8, where by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Uh, I told somebody this week, I'm going to see if I can work that verse in every week. It's my favorite verse, all right? So I'm going to try to work it. No, no, I'm just joking, all right? Now, without preaching another message, what Paul wanted for these believers is for them to experience God's continual love and work in their lives. It is the same for us. We, we are dependent upon God's grace for our salvation, but we are also dependent upon God's grace in our daily living. As we experience God's grace, we experience a strength and a joy that the world doesn't understand. And we need God's grace, and we should desire God's grace daily. As Paul spoke about peace, in reality, it relates to grace because we can only experience true peace through God's grace and I want to point out that the peace that Paul is speaking about relates to the Old Testament concept of peace or shalom. I hope some, I hope some of you remember what I mentioned a few weeks ago about peace. Y'all remember that? I talked about shalom. It's more than just the absence of, of, of conflict, but it is about an overall well-being in life. All right? It's about a spiritual and an emotional, a mental, a physical wellness in our lives. Again, these are things that ultimately can only be found in God. So let me ask you, do you want grace and peace? My guess is you say yes, and I hope you would say yes. Not only do I want you who are listening to me today to experience grace and peace, I desire that for our whole community and the world who've never experienced grace and true peace to experience it. Now, some of you might be saying, all right, if Paul's writing this to faithful saints, shouldn't they have already experienced this? Shouldn't they already have experienced this? Yes. yes. I just want to make sure you're still listening. The answer is yes. But here is a final word we need to hear. We have to be careful because if not, we can become complacent in walking in grace and peace. Really, we can become complacent in our relationship with God. We need this warning because what we really need moving into the new year is a renewed commitment to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul wrote these words to believers in Ephesus who in general, they had it together. However, he understood that even the most faithful need reminders to remain focused on what's important. Even the most faithful need encouragement to continue to do the right things. In fact, when it comes specifically to the church in Ephesus, listen to these words that, that, that John wrote, that, that God shared through John as he wrote these words to the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Are those good words? I mean, he's encouraging these believers. I mean, these are faithful saints, right? They, they've done all these things, but listen to what he says next. He says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. See, John didn't say that the believers in Ephesus were doing bad things. In many ways, they were still being faithful, doing many good things. But the big issue is they had left their first love. In other words, their relationship with Jesus had failed to be the priority. The thing that gives grace and peace had drifted to the less important things in the lives that and they didn't even recognize it. They were being religious. They were still doing many of the activities they did. They were still standing up in the face of difficulties. However, here's my guess, is they had lost their joy and they were having difficulty experiencing peace because their relationship with Jesus had failed to be the priority. I never want that to be said of us, this. 
that we have lost our first love. Yet even though that is my hope, I believe one thing that is even a result of what we as people have experienced in recent years, COVID being only a part of that, is that we in ways have forgotten our first love and we're failing to experience the grace and peace that God desires. My prayer for our church, for the other churches in our community, for believers every year as we move into 2024 is that we experience a fresh and anew the grace and the peace of God. I pray that that grace and that peace becomes visible in our lives and in the world. And I'll say this. If I've offended you in anything that I've said today, I want you to email me at jonas.larkin at vcbc.org. <laughs> Those that were here last week will get that joke. And so go back and listen to the message and you'll understand where that comes from. All right. Now, I really hope I haven't offended you. I hope here's what I've done. In fact, encouraged you and challenged you. We should be encouraged today to know, all right, that know that God is a God who can work and change lives in a dramatic way. And I really believe that God is ready to do great things in our midst and in your life individually if you are ready to have grace made visible in your life. And so I ask you, are you ready? One, two, three. We got how many else ready? All right. We got a few that's ready. All right. I want 2024 to be a great year. And if you look to God in his grace, it can be. And as we make our way through the book of Ephesians and understand what it means, all right, that, 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 that grace is made visible, I truly believe this, that God can do great things in our midst. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. And, I, and I'm thankful, Lord, for the words today, but even in advance for the words that you're going to share with us in the weeks ahead. Because, Father, I know that your grace indeed is an amazing, amazing thing. Father, my prayer in the, the, the days and the weeks and the months ahead that, God, what we would see is your grace poured out in an amazing way in our midst and that we see great things happen as lives are changed and that grace is made visible. So speak to us even now, God, as we come to this invitation. May this be a moment when some people come experience your grace or maybe some today come and just renew, Lord, their love for your grace. I don't know all the needs that need to happen this morning, but God, I know that your spirit is speaking to lives in ways that I don't understand, in ways I may never know, but God, the important thing is that you know, and so Lord, speak to lives, and I pray that people will respond to you this morning. And so again, Father, pour your blessing out, let your spirit move in these next few moments, and again, may we honor you in all that we do, in Jesus' name, amen.